Hey there, podcast listener. I just wanted you to know that the John Desperry podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection and access to daily news digests like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. With your Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime and anywhere. Download the free app onto smartphones, both Apple and Android. Listen across devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series if you'd like. I've been using Audible for about a decade now, and I couldn't be more satisfied. I love Audible. I've listened to audiobooks, dramas, podcasts. To get started with a one-month free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That gets you one month free, which includes a free book credit, two free Audible originals, and access to their massive library of resources. One more time, audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast to get started with Audible with that free month. Welcome back to the John Deesbury Podcast. Today I have for you the beginning of the end. Um, I think that's the best way to put it. Chapter 27 is a doozy. And I'm sorry you only get one this week. So enjoy and we will see you afterwards. Chapter 27 Jocko! Zade! Ladin called as he crashed through the main hatch of the FTL. It was early morning, only an hour or so after leaving Kimber at the palace. His detour to what was left of the gut for a few items got him back only a couple of hours before the sun was scheduled to rise. Pickings were slim in the gut with the crackdown on illegal parts, but he found what he was looking for, a dynamic memory transfer modulator. Zade's updates were getting bigger and bigger, and if she were going to be a long-term, even permanent home for the lamp, he would need to be able to transfer updates quickly. In his chamber, he punched in the entry code to his safe. His personal data mod sat in a protective sleeve on the small shelf inside. He retrieved it and went to find his entourage. Jocko, I did it! She knows! We're out of here as soon as she... He called as he rounded the door of his chamber and entered the lounge. He didn't finish his declaration because what he saw froze him in his tracks. If not for the sight of Jocko bound and on his knees on the floor in front of him, he might have run. Haslan Malik sat in the control station chair to Ladin's left, where he was surrounded by his secret civil patrol officers. Zade was slumped over in a chair near one of the officers who held an energy neutralizer in his hand. He had deactivated her where she sat. Ladin's heart beat against his ribcage as he slid his data mod inconspicuously behind his back. Jocko looked up. 
his eyes conveying his allegiance to Ladin, but Ladin knew that loyalty could soon be pushed to its limits. Hello, Mr. Basra, Malik said with feigned courtesy. You really had me fooled, you know? Kimber told me you were smarter than to come back here. She defended you to a fault for the first few months, but ultimately... He smiled self-satisfyingly. Ultimately, I found out. From the dark recesses of the cockpit, which was situated through a door on the far side of the lounge, shadowy figures made their way into the light. Ladin gripped tightly to his mod when he saw Kimber being led out by two men, one of which was Kasim. What do you want? Ladin asked hastily. Malik laughed. Let's not play games. Not like last time, Mr. Shahara. Fine, you can have it, Ladin said, looking at Kimber, whose expression was flat and calculating. I said not like last time, Malik said authoritatively, like a teacher repeating his instruction for the fifth time. Fool me once, Mr. Shahara, Malik said as he stood up and pulled a cigar from his pocket. It was real, not electronic. He clipped the tip of it off with the snap of a reflective metallic cutter. The small brown end fell to the ground next to Jocko. Malik lit the remaining portion with a metal lighter, a relic of centuries gone by, and blew the first puff of smoke into the air. The smell was oddly sweet. Malik looked at the shaft of tobacco in his hand to admire it, then looked back at Ladin. I won't be fooled again, Mr. Shahara, Malik said. Ladin backed up against the bulkhead as two CPOs moved in on him. Okay, I'll give it to you. You can have it. Just let them go, Ladin said as he met Jocko's eyes again, then Kimber's. They didn't ask for this. Your fight's with me. Malik grimaced with annoyance. I wish I could, Mr. Shahara. I really do. But if I don't hurt you, and I mean really hurt you... He walked over and stuck the pointed tip of his polished shoe under Jocko's chin. Then I can't even really trust you. He swiped Jocko's head to the side with a snap of his ankle and stepped toward Kimber. So what's it going to be? Ladin jolted forward. What are you going to do? Ladin asked, looking between Jocko and Kimber. I don't know yet, Malik said with a sadistic grin. Ladin swallowed as he watched Malik slowly pace the floor. How did you know it was me? Ladin asked with what courage he had left as he glared at Kimber. Malik caught the look and laughed. You think it was Kimber? You think she knew anything? She's a pawn. She is just like the rest of them. She knew nothing. Malik laughed. I figured it out. I knew you would find some reason to come back. I knew you would be back to get your vengeance. I knew from the moment your people arranged our first meeting. He took another satisfied puff of his cigar. I knew you were either crazy or stupid. I guess stupid won out. In the end, none of this will matter as long as I get the lamp, Malik continued. So, in the name of expediting history, where's the lamp? That's not an easy question to answer, Ladin began, but Malik wasn't satisfied. The sultan handed his cigar to Kasim and relieved one of his officers of his plasma rifle and pointed it directly at Jocko's knee. Where is the lamp? Malik demanded, and Ladin mistakenly stammered. Okay, okay, it's not easy to get, but... Wrong answer, Malik said, then pulled the trigger of the rifle. A flash of blue plasma shot from the muzzle of the gun and ripped through Jocko's left knee. His body exploded in an agonizing scream as he flailed on the floor, reaching for his lower extremity. 
Ladin dropped the datamod he was holding and threw himself down on the floor by Jocko's side. Jocko, look at me, look at me, Ladin pleaded. I'm going to get you help. He looked over to where Kimber stood. In the cockpit, there's a medic locker with a pressure cuff. Kimber moved quickly into the cockpit and came back carrying a small hard plastic container. She tossed it to Ladin, but Malik kicked it away, raising the gun so that it pointed directly at Ladin. Where is it? Where is the lamp? Ladin looked at the gun, then to a writhing Jocko. Let me help him, then I'll tell you. You'll tell me now, or he loses more than a knee. Malik replied as he stepped forward, his heavy foot falling on the data mod Ladin had dropped. With a flick of his ankle, the mod went sliding across the floor to the back wall of the room. He then pointed the gun at Jocko's head. Ladin looked at Jocko's red, tear-stained eyes. The humble servant was terrified. He looked at Kimber, whose face projected not fear, but patience, as she slowly, almost imperceptibly, shook her head. It confused Ladin that she didn't seem the least bit scared or nervous. You have exactly to the count of three to tell me where the lamp is, before I end your friend here and move on. Malik growled as he swung his gun from Ladin to Jocko and finally to Kimber, who looked, again, unfazed that her life was in danger. One. Ladin looked curiously at Kimber. Two. She was still shaking her head for Ladin not to respond. He looked nervously to Jocko and then to Malik's gun and finally to Zade. Three. Okay, Ladin blurted, his head spinning as Malik pulled the trigger again. A blue blast fired past Jocko's ear and tore a hole in the bulkhead behind him. Jocko's eyes shot wide as he screamed again, releasing the grip he had on his knee. Malik pointed the gun at Ladin. Zade, he said. It's in Zade. His tone was suddenly defeated. Jocko sighed with relief as he lay his head on the floor, his hands again choking the blood supply above his knee. Start it up, Malik ordered, and motioned Ladin toward Zade, where she sat slumped over in her chair. Ladin glared up at Malik with challenging eyes. Instead of standing to walk over to Zade, he reached across the floor and retrieved the black medic tote as he took his eyes off Malik. If the Sultan was going to kill him, it wouldn't matter anymore. He was going to help his friend. Ladin opened the hard black box and retrieved the pressure cuff. He tore open the package and gently placed the blue inflatable cuff over Jocko's knee. As the device inflated, Jocko cringed but held back his tears. Ladin next pressed a small injector into Jocko's leg and administered an instant pain medication. Once Jocko lay peacefully silent, Ladin returned his glare to Malik. Start. It. Up. Malik said concisely as he kept the rifle trained on Ladin. Ladin slowly stood up and walked over to Zade, his eyes trained on Malik, his anger seething. He avoided looking at Kimber. He had no idea what she could possibly have meant with her sign language. Why would she want Ladin to let Malik kill Jocko? His mind raced with questions and no answers. Until... Malik didn't know about the parade. Kimber said so. Malik intimated as much just minutes ago. What was she planning? He knew she was trying to get Earth back into the Union without her father's knowledge, but was she also planning a revolution? As Lydon reached around the back of Zade's neck, his mind raced with ways he might communicate with Kimber, or at least help her if his theory was correct. If Malik's intention was to kill, then it was completely up to Ladin to get Kimber, Jocko, and himself out alive. But how? The nearest officer to Zade was Kasim. 
He was armed with a plasma rifle. An idea sprang to Ladin's mind, but he needed the data mod to make it work. An idea sprang to Ladin's mind, but he needed the data mod to make it work. Ladin carefully reached around and gripped Zade's initializer with his thumb and forefinger. Rather than activate it, he twisted the tiny mechanism, breaking it so that it would not function. He then forced a disappointed-sounding sigh. When your goons here neutralized her, they overloaded her initializer and who knows how many other systems. I'll have to start her up remotely, he said. Ladin could see Malik's patience was wearing thin. You had better make it quick, Malik replied with gritted teeth. Ladin sneered and walked slowly over to the data mod that lay on the floor. He didn't want to look too eager. The corner of the transparent aluminum that made up the screen was bent but not broken. The device was on. He quickly accessed Zade's remote activation interface and dialed up the command line. Malik was familiar with remote activation. He would know it only took a few seconds. Ladin had to work quickly. With the command line up on the screen, Ladin accessed Zade's startup processes. He would need a tremendous amount of luck to get to the exact right line. With quick fingers, he dialed up line 1024, her power connect command. After that, he needed to completely reorder her initializers. He looked up at Malik, who was looking at his chronometer. The initial startup was thousands of lines of command for all of Zade's systems. He needed to enter a routine for the second she had mobility control. It needed to be precisely synchronized with her optics. He only had time for generalities, disarm the closest human threat, and immobilize him. He was almost there. His fingers flew like lightning. He wrote the command in a separate dialogue first, then scanned the lines of code. His heart leapt with joy as his eyes landed on the exact line he needed. Final joint rotation diagnostic. Not today, he thought as he erased the existing command. What are you doing? Malik demanded and started over to him. Lydon worked fast without looking anxious. Just as Malik reached his hand out to grab the mod, the screen changed back to the much simpler activation interface. Lydon pressed the button just as Malik pulled the mod from his hands. The Sultan sneered, but behind him, Lydon's plan was working. Zare sat straight up as her startup process initiated. Lydon looked to see how close Kasim was. Don't move a muscle, he thought, as Kasim looked on in interest at Zare. Just a little more. Ladin glanced at Kimber, who, curiously enough, couldn't have been less interested in what was happening as she stared down the darkened corridor toward the aft section of the FTL. What the hell, Kimber? Ladin thought. I'm saving your skin here. You could at least look like you care. He hid his frustration by forcing it to shiver down his spine. The entire company stared, mesmerized, at the waking Mecca as Ladin moved slowly toward Malik. Zade mechanically got to her feet as she neared the final stage of initialization. As Ladin watched with anticipation, ready to strike Malik across the face when Zade was finished, a sudden loud bang rang out from the back of the ship. The hatch had been breached by someone or something. Every head in the room turned quickly and uneasily toward the commotion. Go see what it is, Malik barked to Kasim. Kimber finally looked interested in the proceedings. Kasim nodded to his men, three of whom departed into the aft corridor. Zade was almost finished. Ladin looked quickly to the corridor, then to Zade. Kasim was still close to her, his rifle in the ready position in front of him. The sound of yelling followed soon after the CPOs left to investigate. Then came the plasma blasts. Three distinct rifle bursts echoed throughout the ship. 
What is going on back there? Malik demanded. Get back there and see what that is, he demanded of Kasim. But Kasim only looked at Kimber, as if awaiting some kind of instruction. Lydon knit his eyebrows together perplexedly. I'm afraid I can't do that, Mr. Malik, Kasim said, and to the surprise of Ladin, Jocko, and the five remaining CPOs, Kasim raised his rifle and pointed it directly at Malik, who just stared at his chief of security. A dozen new characters barged into the mystery that had become Ladin's escape, people he didn't recognize. All were armed and ready to fight with their weapons held up. The remaining CPOs answered the threat and raised their weapons to the intruders and Kasim. Lower your weapons if you're loyal to my father, Kimber said, and Ladin's disbelief amplified as Kimber drew up close behind Kasim. What is this? Malik demanded, his face red with fury as he rolled the rifle grip around in his palm. This is the takeover, Kimber said, then turned to address her head of security. Kill him, she said, and Ladin's eyes went wide. Kasim lined Malik up in the sight of his rifle. Ladin couldn't believe what was happening. More than that, he had no idea how it had reached such a boiling point. Just as he felt he was in control of all the deception, the rabbit hole grew infinitely deeper. Malik sneered at his daughter and his former security chief. You're both fools, he said as he shook his head in fierce disgust. In the new commotion, everyone in the room, including Ladin, seemed to have forgotten about Zade. That lasted only until her head suddenly cocked to the left, her eyes locking on Kasim's rifle. Ladin very suddenly regretted every one of his actions of the last two years. He never should have been so eager to take the job from Malik. He was still a stupid kid. He was less than a pawn in a war that had been raging for much longer than he had even been alive. The struggle for power, for the lamp, penetrated so much farther into the human condition than he thought possible. They were all so willing to kill for it that it wasn't worth his involvement, his tampering with the flow of human history and the future. In the end, humanity would be reduced to the barest version of itself when a few higher-level programming codes took effect in less than one second. Zade swung her body around, her left arm colliding bluntly with Kasim's throat. The man's head jerked backwards, his eyes bulging with surprise as his fall knocked Kimber off balance. As she fell to the floor, the action suddenly slowed down for Ladin, and not in a productive, analytical way. It was as if the chaos had overloaded his brain, like a mecha, and he couldn't process it fast enough. Zade reached out with surgical precision and grabbed the rifle in Kasim's hands as he fell backward into Kimber. She pulled so hard on the weapon that the harness around Kasim's shoulder broke, freeing it for her to use if she so desired. As Kasim fell, he knocked the rifle from Malik's hand. Without a wasted second, the Sultan reached behind the breast of his suit from which he pulled a pistol, an old early model plasma blaster, and raised it so that his daughter stared down its barrel. Sweat and redness covered his face, his yellowing teeth visible in a brutal scowl as he yelled something inaudible. A blast of blue light spat from the small weapon. Ladin fell instinctually to the ground to cover Jocko. More blue flashes came, concussive booms of plasma hitting the bulkhead, resonating in and through Ladin's skull and gut as he watched Kasim take Malik's shot straight to the chest, his uniform instantly stained red. One of Malik's special officers fell to the ground, gripping his upper thigh, his shock baton sliding off his belt and colliding with Ladin's hand. Ladin grabbed it as quickly as he could and placed it into Jocko's hand, his friend's eyes red and wet with tears of pain. Ladin said nothing, but his wide-eyed expression said enough. 
He wasn't going to leave Jocko without a defense in case something dire happened. Zade took cover. It was obvious she was confused, and Ladin realized that he had to get to her, despite being on the opposite side of the room as she. Looking toward the entrance into the room from the corridor, Ladin noticed that the intruding force had pressed far enough into the room to leave a small space by which he could circumnavigate the fight and get to Zade. He looked at Jocko and assured him with only a glance of confidence that he would be back. Jocko nodded. Lydon dove under the volley of plasma blasts and made his way to the back of the fight. Crawling on his hands and knees, hot embers of bulkhead metal splashed on him as plasma bursts tore new holes in his ship. He brushed the searing shards off the back of his neck and kept moving. A body fell to the floor next to him with a lifeless thud. While the feeling was unmistakable, he saw it out of the corner of his eye and chose not to look at it any more than he had to. He didn't need to know who it was. Crossing by the corridor entrance, he moved on toward the control station where Zade sat crouched, staring at him. As odd as it was, her expression was not one of confusion as it had been before. It was one of fear. Lydon had never seen her afraid before. He didn't know it was possible. But there she was and he needed to get to her to quell whatever it was that made an android scared. He was only a few meters from her when a singular howl thundered above all other howls. It was almost animalistic, like a wolf howling out its last breath. But when Ladin looked up, what he saw made him sick to his stomach. Hazlan Malik dropped to his knees, his massive torso frozen for a moment, balanced just right, before falling forward to the floor. Every part of him limp, with the finality that can only come from sudden and unexpected death. The king is dead. Malik falls to his fate. He's killed by a revolution started by his daughter. Raise your hand if you saw it coming. Don't lie to me. I can see you. Nuh-uh, you didn't know. So this is my twist. I once heard from a friend of mine. I think it might have been Patrick and I were talking and he had read something that talked about um, putting a twist in your books. Like the old the old uh, R.L. Stein sort of uh, model. Um, of, you know, you're going along, you're going along, and it seems like a pretty basic plot, and then boom, there's a twist. Well, this is my twist. Um, this is where I completely stray from the Aladdin story that we're used to, and all of a sudden, the princess becomes the sort of, uh, I don't know, antagonist? Um, I think at this point, could we call her an antagonist? She's, she's, um, she started a revolution, and Ladin comes to a really interesting discovery here, and I love this, um, and I wish I had developed this a little bit more, his sort of, um, he has that little section in there where he thinks about how he does not matter in this whole situation, in this whole revolution, in this whole power grab for the lamp. He doesn't matter. And he knows it. And he's basically uh, inserted himself, wanting to feel important, knowing that he's not. So... I think that comes from teaching middle school. This is the kind of situation you see all the time, especially with like 12, 13, 14 year olds, where they insert themselves into issues or into other people's problems because they want to feel important or they want to feel like they have helped out in some way. And I think, you know, this human nature. And that's one part about creating characters is if you're creating human characters with human nature and 
And, you know, they're experiencing the human condition the same way anybody else would. You have to put that in there. Every once in a while, I come across a story where the character does not feel human. The antagonist does not feel human. And it bothers me because it's like, well, where's the emotion? Where's the reaction to that? How come you're not reacting appropriately to that? Um, and I, oh, I can't think of it now. I was I was listening to an audiobook, and there was a character, a sort of secondary character, who, who was on the protagonist's side. What book was it? Now that I think about it, I think it was a biography. Um, I want to say maybe it was a uh, uh, George Washington biography or... Maybe it was Chernow's Hamilton biography that I listened to a couple of years ago. But there was a character, there was somebody who was who should have reacted appropriately to something, and they didn't react at all. And I'm like, well, okay, that's that's the biographer's fault. That's the author's fault for not putting that in there because that made that person almost like a mannequin uh, or like an extra on a TV show, just in the back, not reacting to the to whatever was happening. And you can't do that with characters. You have to have people react appropriately. And this goes back to selling the scene, to sort of constructing the entire scene. Uh, your character's reactions are just as much as part a part of the setting as anything. Um, and you have to make those accurate. So if you have Ladin, um, so in this situation, you know, Ladin is scared, but he knows he has, he has jobs to do. He has to go help Jocko. He has to help Zade. And he's got to figure out where Kimber is in this whole thing. Then you have Jocko. Jocko is scared. Jocko is in pain. Jocko is a pool of goo on the floor, having just had his knee completely shattered uh, by this plasma blast. You've got Zade, who now looks scared. Um, the different soldiers doing their jobs. And, and maybe the soldiers, the CPOs in this one, these guys who just jump into action and start shooting each other. Um, that maybe that's a little too G.I. Joe cartoon. Um, and maybe those are my mannequins. Maybe those are my emotionless uh, extras in this scene. But just make sure that if you have people who are supposed to drive the plot, if you have characters who are supposed to drive the plot, who are supposed to, to round out the scene, give it contrast, give it color, give it saturation, uh, so to speak, make sure you do that. Do that with your characters. Um, there's a couple other, I think there's the allusion there to transparent aluminum. What, what? Another throw, throwback to my Star Trek fandom. Uh, for Star Trek 4, transparent aluminum. Scotty teaches the guy in the 80s how to do that. Um, and I think I mentioned that in a different podcast in one of the earlier um, episodes. But transparent aluminum, that comes from Star Trek. Uh, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. Not a huge, I'm not like a Trekkie. Um, but, uh, I love the Trek anyway. So yeah, that's not much today. And that's all, that's all I really have for this chapter to talk about. Um, as far as little tidbits go, um, I'm planning my last full request interview for this season, for this, uh, for this book. I hope I'm hoping to get a friend of mine who is a graphic novelist. He just released his first graphic novel, uh, just had it published, and I want to get to talk to him because storytelling in the graphic sense, because he's an artist, artist first, storyteller second, I believe, and, and I'll ask him that question, um, but I'm hoping to get him on here. So, fingers crossed that before the end of this, there are like six chapters left, um, we can get him on here. So, 
Sorry this one was so short today. I know it's action-packed, but we will see you next week. Get that Audible subscription, guys. I use it all the time. I just started listening to a new one. Um, Drive Like Hell, or Go Like Hell is the new book I'm listening to. It's the story of Enzo Ferrari and um, Henry Ford II, uh, Hank the Deuce. And if you're familiar with the Ford versus Ferrari movie, this is the biography um, of that story. Uh, fantastic book so far. I, I love the way the narration is. The narrative voice is spectacular. It's really good. It reads almost like a fiction. Um, and it's all real dialogue, or it, it, as the best the author could get. And the actor doing the voiceover, doing the reading is fantastic. So uh, get your Audible subscription. Remember, go to audibletrial.com slash podcast to get that. And you can find my books on Amazon, anywhere paperbacks are sold online. And uh, don't forget, you can see me on social media at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at John D. Sperry. So, without any further ado, be good. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.